of the Buddha, who said one thing, practitioners, if developed and frequently practiced, leads to a deep stirring of the mind, to great benefit, to great security from toil, to mindfulness and clear comprehension, to the attainment of vision and knowledge, to a happy abiding in this very life, to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. What is this one thing? It is the mindful contemplation of the body. I'll say a few words about what the Buddha said, a little commentary, because this is a strong statement he's making. He's not, at this point, he's not even talking about the four foundations of mindfulness. He's just saying mindfulness of the body can lead all the way to the fruit of knowledge and deliverance. So what does this mean? He begins, he says, it leads to a deep stirring of the mind and heart. And this is understood as a strong sense of urgency in practice. That being mindful of the body will allow us to connect and reconnect with what motivates us, with the qualities of motivation, our intention, our determination in practice, our inspiration for practice, our passion or our fire or our flame for practice. He says it leads for, to security from toil. I kind of, I didn't have any idea what that meant when I first read it. I had to look at the commentaries. What that means is great freedom, freedom from burden. What's the burden? The burden of attachment. The ver- burden of grasping and pushing away reality, life, this moment. He talks about mindfulness and clear comprehension, which is what we've been practicing, learning, seeing directly what's happening as it's happening, a kind of u- unity of both the cognizing and intuitive capacities of our heart and mind. And he says it leads to knowledge and deliverance. Knowledge comes from the word gnosis, which means to know, but originally it meant a special knowledge of spiritual mysteries. And so we begin to understand, acquaint ourselves, become intimate with the mystery of life, which is a spiritual mystery. And deliverance, I looked up deliverance in the dictionary. It said, in the Latin, it means thoroughly free, 
And the Webster said it meant to set free or liberate. That mindfulness of the body, this simple practice, which you can do right now of just feeling your body, knowing the body directly, immediately, viscerally, kinesthetically, leads to awakening, liberation. I give this talk often. A number of you have heard it. I find it so important, so um, valuable in my own practice, and I continue to practice a lot with the body. It's definitely a, a, a centerpiece in my practice. It's also central to the Buddhist teachings. The Buddha emphasized it, and we'll go over that. Jack talked a little about it. I'm going to add some more tonight. It's an area where the relative and the absolute converge. The relative reality, the mundane reality, the usual habitual reality, and the reality that's not habitual and not mundane, not based on memory or thought or conditions. It's being expressed in your seat right now. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? The body is this physical medium through which we have experience. Through these sense doors. And so we start to have a taste of the present moment through the bodily experience, the felt sense of now, the immediacy that's right here, the isness or nowness or hereness. It's not any further than this. So I understand the body as a dharma gate, a dharma door for awakening. Sometimes people talk on retreats, they're a little, sometimes people get a little afraid, I'm going to go out of my mind, you know, with the no talking and no relating. And hopefully you'll go out of your mind and into your body, into your presence here, through the body coming out of the world of concepts and ideas and imaginings and memories into the non-conceptual reality of a moment of life that's being expressed where you sit. Dharma practice is very interesting. At core, at root, we ask a conceptual question. Who are you? What is this? These are the questions that underlie all our practice. What is freedom? We're not looking for a conceptual answer. 
the answer will not be found in an idea, but will be found in the immediacy of your experience. It's like, I could ask you to think about your hand. And think about all the parts of your hand, skin, blood, bones, tendons, nails. And do that a second. Think about your hand. Even look at it. Look at this thing. We, we call this a hand. That's the concept. This is a concept called a hand. It's beautiful. Especially if it's working. It's really nice. Now shut your eyes for a second and feel this experience. Feel this thing we call a hand and let go of your memory of it, your idea of it, the word hand. And check the present moment's experience of what a hand is. I find the body to be an avenue to discover what I don't know, what's not so much knowable by thinking. When you feel a hand, sometimes there's heat or cold, vibration, or nothing, empty. Sometimes when you let go of the memory, the idea, it's not formed like a hand in your direct experience. Maybe some energy. What's that? What's energy? There's another reason I like to talk about the body. Because I believe the goal of practice means not simply awakening here on the cushion, but living that awakening, the embodiment of our insight, of our awakening. Letting the teachings be expressed through this form in our actions, in our presence, in each moment, allowing our lives to truly become an expression of the Dharma and our love of the Dharma, our love of the truth. So again, I want to keep encouraging you to sense your body, feel it. And it's a great opportunity to work with your eyes open also, which is something we don't do so much on these retreats, but it's very valuable. Very important, because we do spend a lot of time with our eyes open in our lives. 
and it may feel a little awkward when you're mostly with your eyes closed, but just keep sensing the body. The sounds come, the sights come. Let them enter instead of going out to them. So in the Sutta on Mindfulness, which Jack read and talked about, it begins with 14 contemplations of the body. And contemplation itself is an interesting word. It means to look at with continued attention, to sense, to consider attentively or ponder, to study, to gaze upon, view, to observe or behold. And I love that. I love that they have that word, behold. To contemplate means to behold the body. There's something about the word behold. It's not our usual, we don't use that word so much, like, you know, behold the lamp or behold the bell. When you use the word behold, when it's used in literature, it's used to signify we're really seeing something. A dragon, behold a dragon, or a treasure, or a jewel, behold. Maybe it's a frog that turned into a prince, behold the prince. Or maybe it's a prince that turned into a frog, behold the frog. And so I think it's a lovely attitude to bring to our contemplation of the body and the other contemplations that we're doing here. Because it points us to something beyond our habitual knowing and into the immediacy and the vibrancy and the delicacy of this moment, the mystery of this moment. Etymologically, contemplate comes from contemplum, contemple. And templum meant an open place for observation. And so to contemplate really means to observe something as if in a temple, to see the sacredness of this body, or of this heart, or of this mind, or of even this fear, or this anger, or this boredom, or this joy. Because these moments of life come to us from where, from how, we have no idea. It is sacred, as Tara was pointing to last night. So to contemplate is to begin to see the sacred in this moment. And so Jack talked in his talk about the awareness of the body. And I'll just briefly mention it again because it's worth mentioning. He said, he said it's often translated awareness of the body in the body. It's also often translated awareness of the body as a body. And I think both translations are helpful to us. They both give us some 
insight, some doorway into how to experience the body and how to know it as a body. And we do that in a variety of ways. Mindfulness of the breath, we've been paying attention to that. Mindfulness of the posture of the body, we can feel it right now. Full awareness in their movements, eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting. We've been doing that. How's your tongue? Did some of you check out what your tongue does in the eating? It's pretty wild, huh? Acting in full awareness when defecating and urinating. I hope you've been checking that out too. I mean, it's such a bizarre thing, right? You stand there, sit there, and the stuff comes out of who? You? The body. Doing its thing. Now, you don't even have to try too hard, hopefully. (laughs) I, I, I think of it because I think of all the systems in the body that are going on without us doing anything. The respiratory system or the lymphatic system or the skeletal system or the central nervous system. Hopefully they're working okay. We don't even notice them when they are working. When they're not, then we pay a little more attention. And then practicing when we're walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. These are the words of the Buddha. And so that's what we're practicing right now. I'm, for the most part, practicing talking, and you're, for the most part, practicing keeping silent, listening. And then there's the insight. One abides contemplating the body and the body internally, externally, as experience arises and vanishes, not clinging to anything in this world. And so we relax in this body, in this moment. We relax, we let the body relax, let go as best we can. And it's helpful because it's kind of a, it's kind of uh, the image that comes, it's not such a great one, it's kind of the lead dog on a mush team. That actually the body leads us, the relaxing of the body actually helps the relaxing of awareness to find, uh, to let it be itself, to let it be open, and to know things, which is the function of awareness. And that awareness itself ultimately is totally relaxed, open, and knowing life, experience, reality, as it is now. And you'll notice often that one of the things that happens when we're having a hard time, is our awareness also gets contracted around that hard time. And so relaxing the body, letting the awareness rest, relax in the body, and continue beyond the body is very important. One of my teachers, Hamid Ali, once wrote, Are you in your body? I mean, are you completely filling your body? I want to know whether you are in your feet or you just have feet. Do you live in them or are they just things you use when you walk? 
Are you in your belly? Or do you just know vaguely that you have a belly? Or is it just for food? Are you really in your hands? Or do you move them from a distance? Are you present in yourselves, inhabiting and filling your body with awareness? Suzuki Roshi put it another way. He said, to stop your mind does not mean to stop the activities of mind. It means your mind pervades your whole body. So letting the body be a doorway to awareness, letting your whole being open through this bodily experience, through this experience of being embodied that we happen to find ourselves in. I also find the body a great source of compassion, which Tara talked about beautifully last night. The Buddha has a very succinct description of mindfulness practice and the practice of compassion and awareness. He said, because we hold ourselves dear, we maintain careful self-regard both day and night. Because we hold ourselves dear, kindly, warmly, carefully, we maintain careful self-regard, which is mindfulness, both day and night, continuously. And sooner or later, the body will help us to be kind to ourselves because it's the only refuge. Because if you have a body, it's vulnerable. Bodies are vulnerable. They're delicate. They're amazingly fragile. Try this. I find this an interesting exercise. Put both your hands on your head and just feel that. Feel the size of the head. I'm always amazed how small the head is, you know? It's just this little thing. (laughs) And it's part of the body, by the way. Often people talk about, I'm in my head as if they're, and I'm not in my body. I want to just make sure this is clear. The head is part of the body, (laughs) okay? But when you feel it, at least for me, I mean, two things happen. One is I think, God, I'm usually just so swelled hat, and now here's the reality. But also I see that there's something much bigger here, and the body's just a small thing. That awareness is actually not limited by the body so much. And this fragility or vulnerability of the body is so present, because in a moment, anything can happen. In a moment, you know those moments when you get sick or something goes wrong? It's just the moment before you were absolutely fine. And then in a moment, 
you're not fine. And I've had a few experiences in the last year. I probably had more body dukkha than I've had maybe, maybe ever. And I broke my knee, took a fall on my bike. You know, just like that. It was that quick. And it was clear that I really hurt myself. And I got the flu this year, and I'm one of those people of, oh, I never get the flu. Well, I'm not in that category anymore. I got the flu, and then I got better. It was great. And then I got the flu again. And I remember that moment, especially the second time. I'd, I'd been pushing it too hard. Really. I'd been pushing this body too hard. And I was actually about to leave for a retreat, and I'd just done a retreat, and I was... It's 12 o'clock at night, and I was up packing, and, and I just, you could just feel it. I was sick. Just boom, like that. Now, here on retreat, most people feel the vulnerability of the body through the pain, or the difficulty, or the aches, or the suffering that's here. So I'd like to spend just a couple minutes talking about how to work very directly in this context with that kind of pain. The basic guideline is to move closer to the experience. So I think about it this way. Can I relax into this moment's experience of discomfort, of ache? Because there's two kinds of physical pain that'll come. There'll be, at least for me, like when I sat in the cushion forever, I always had pain. And I learned how to work with it quite well. So there'd be some pain in the knee and then there'd be some tensing in the body against that pain. And what I saw was, oh, I could relax the secondary tension and just stay with the primary, the fundamental uh, pain. So it's very important to be aware of the pain and the reaction to the pain. So I would sit with especially pain in my knee, and there'd be pain, pain, pain and there'd be my aversion to the pain. And you want to include it. You don't want to pretend you like pain. Not so many people do. A few people may. That's okay. You know, we're very open-minded here. But most people don't like pain. And so you want to include that. It's going to come, oh, I hate this, or, or I'm scared of it. That's an important piece to include. How long is it going to last? Will I be able to sit? When are they going to ring the bell? All that is aversion. And we don't want to judge our aversion, and we don't want to push it away. Remember, aversion to aversion is aversion. Okay? It's a very profound statement there. Um, And so we want, as best we can, let ourselves actually feel what we're calling pain. Pain's a very big word. It's a fine word to start with. But we can get a little more precise if we can relax around and into this experience. Oh, aching, aching, then it starts pulling, 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 then it's vibrating, then it's prickly, then it's tingling, then it's hot, then it's burning, and oh, how long is it going to last? Aversion, aversion. Really staying present with that as best you can. and watching, it'll, it can move around the pain. It can go away for a while. Oh, great. Relief. Oh, I love this. Thank God. Finally. 
You want to notice that. You, and you can enjoy the relief. It's a nice feeling relief. And then it comes again, the pain. Oh, no, I thought it was gone, aversion. And then, so you're, you're really beginning to dance with it. You're really begin, beginning to come intimate with it. And yourself, without denying any of your reactions to it, but still allowing it to express itself, because that's what it's going to do. Now, there's a few ways to help bring balance. Balance is the key piece here. Um, it can be helpful to switch from mindfulness of breathing to mindfulness with breathing. So of breathing, we're just paying attention to the breath. With breathing, we're being mindful of the pain, and then we're breathing in the middle of it to help bring a little balance to the awareness. Another way to bring balance is go to the whole body experience for 20 seconds. And you'll notice that the pain is simply part of a bigger experience. And you can alternate the two. Whole body sitting, sitting, sitting. Breath. And then aching, aching, vibrating, tearing, twisting, tearing, ow, ow, ow. Whole body, whole body, whole body. And it's almost a little like in-breath and out-breath. You'll, you'll develop a little balance that way. You can also notice where the edge of the pain is and let the tension back off to that. And then move closer as you feel more comfortable. Um, you can also shift. There's no shame in shifting. There's no, um, there's no judgment in it. Do it mindfully. You'll have other opportunities to work with pain, I can assure you. Okay? And these basic instructions on pain are not, they're also easily applicable to emotional pain. That same way of going into it, moving back from it at times, learning how to bring balance in the middle of pain, physical or emotional, can be helpful. So then another kind of body pain, which every person in this room knows in some form or another, it's the pain that has to do with being identified with our body image. And I'll give you a very simple example for you to reflect on. Have you ever had a bad haircut? <laughs> I mean, it's really simple. Like, you know, look at what this is. It's like, it's just hair. You get a bad haircut, you go home, you spend all this time in the mirror trying to fix it. Or, <laughs> you know, I've cut it, which only makes it worse in my case. And, you know, that we are identified with our image, with the image of the body. And it's, it's a very natural identification, the way conditions are and the way we're raised. It's a source of great pain, and we're very vulnerable around it. They say that the fastest growing surgery now is cosmetic surgery for men. We're going to catch up with the women here. Why? why? Why is this? Because people think they lo shouldn't look 
the way they look. I mean, what could be more bizarre? Oi, it's painful. Another piece about our vulnerability and our compassion to pay attention to in yourself, which is how you treat your body here on retreat, in practice. And because, as we've said, that, you know, this practice comes from an ascetic tradition. I think Jack mentioned one of our friends saying, oh, in Burma they're into pain. You know, there's something to that. There is a way of learning how to sit with pain that's very valuable. But we should really look at how we're relating to our body. Are we being harsh towards our body if it doesn't do what we want, if it doesn't sit in the posture we want? You know, do we keep forcing it or not? You know, I find, I have to say, chairs are very comfortable. They may not be elegant, as some people think, but they're very comfortable. Please, we we have good chairs at Spirit Rock. You're more than welcome to use them. And and they won't be totally comfortable. Don't worry about that, okay? (laughs) But our attitude, we can push, we can really bring a harsh uncompassionate attitude to our bodies. A poem, Anna Swir, she says, I say to my body, you carcass. I say, you carcass, crated, nailed down, deaf and blind like a padlock. I should beat you till you starve. I should beat you, excuse me, till you scream. Starve you for 40 days. Hang you over the highest abyss of the world. Perhaps then a window in you would open. On everything I feel exists, on everything that is closed to me, I say to my body, you carcass. You are afraid of pain and hunger. You are afraid of the abyss, you deaf, blind carcass, I say, and I spit at the mirror. This is not the attitude we're cultivating, okay? (laughs) Let's be very clear about that. As I think it was uh, Howie said, there can be a brittle way of practicing, and there can be a warm way to practice. The warm way will take you much further in practice. And then there's wisdom, insight that comes practicing with the body. And in the contemplations on mindfulness, the Buddha starts to give us the charnel ground contemplations. He gives us a contemplation on the non-beautifulness of the body, where you contemplate the different parts. And then he has us contemplate what happens to a body, that the body ages, that it's fragile, and that it's mortal, it's temporal. And it's very important when you do these contemplations to also contemplate 
you know, I had a broken knee, I had the flu. Now, right now, I don't, that's not the truth. And now I have the joy of an unbroken knee and the pleasure of not, the, not having the flu. Thich Nhat Hanh says it this way. He says, when we have a toothache, we know that not having a toothache is a pleasurable feeling. But when we do not have a toothache, most of us are unaware of this pleasant feeling that I hope most of you are having, the experience of not having a toothache right now. Only after we become blind will we be aware that having eyes to see the blue sky and the white clouds is miraculous. He says, happiness is the nourishment of the meditator, and it is not necessary to look for it outside of ourselves. That these contemplations are also so we can appreciate now. Feel your body. 80-20, remember? Enjoy that you have eyes to see and ears to hear because things will change. It's the nature of things. This is a wonderful poem on impermanence from Ambapali, who was a great, most beautiful courtesan in the time of the Buddha and became a devoted follower. She said, once my hair was black like the color of bees, alive, curly, and now it is like bark fibers of hemp. I'm getting old. This is true. I tell you the truth. My nose was like a delicate peak. Now it's a long pepper. (laughs) This scarecrow is telling the truth. My hands were gorgeous, covered with rings, decorated with gold. Now they are like onions and radishes. This is true, I tell you. My breasts look great, round, swelling, close together, lofty, Now they hang down like waterless water bags. My body used to be shiny as a sheet of gold, and now it is covered with wrinkles. Both thighs, and this was once considered a compliment, look like elephant's tusks. Very interesting. I swear I'm telling the truth. Now they're like stalks of bamboo. I had the body of a queen, an old house, Now, an old house, plaster falling off. Sad, but true. I read this last year in uh, Washington with Tara's group. And I'd mentioned that I'd been kind of threatening to write a male version. And so a member of her sangha did. And uh, she gave it to me. And so I said I would read it and mention her name, Melanie LaForce. It's really, I've got to edit a little bit of it, but she writes, writing for the male of the species. When I was young, my golden mane of hair cascaded gracefully down my shoulders, and women tenderly caressed my tresses and curls. Now the remnant is gray and wiry. A bald patch shines in the sun. I wear a hat a lot. When I was young, my beard was thick and brown. Now it is like pig bristles, patchy, like an old gray sweater. My belly was flat with rippling muscles when I was young. The women flirted with me at the beach. 
an abdominal wonder. Now my belly is round like a basketball. When I was young, I was known for being the biggest and the best. Now my penis is a stump, flaccid, a lonely snake searching for a home when it has the energy to move at all. (laughs) Sad, but true. (laughs) Thank you, Melanie. So, the truth of impermanence is sitting in your seat. (laughs) Uh, It's very important to be respectful of this truth. As I said, this is where the relative and absolute meet. That it's true, this is totally impermanent, empty, selfless. Jack tells the story about going to see Ajahn Chah after he'd been sick. He'd had diabetes, water on the brain, heart problems. And he was just out of the hospital, and Jack went to see him, did his bows. And he said to Ajahn Chah, in the way that Jack can of being very direct at times, he said, isn't this what you taught us? And Ajahn Chah said, don't be glib. Don't be glib, that we need to respect these bodies and really acknowledge their, how deeply we're involved with them, how important they've been to us. You know, in the Buddhist tradition, it said, it's this precious human birth that allows us to awaken. It's this body. And so the Buddha suggests that we really deeply contemplate this impermanence through our aging, through seeing death directly, looking directly. And I had an opportunity this year, um, and I've had other opportunities, but uh, it was more personal. My dad died about two months ago. And I got to, first of all, contemplate his aging because he got to live to a ripe old age, 91 And it was amazing to watch his body deteriorate. It was painful for him. He was angry about it. Um, And then to see him dead. Now, it's not so easy for everybody. This is a proclivity that I have, or I don't know what you would call it exactly, but I've, I've done a lot of hospice work. So I've been with people dying and I've been with bodies after they've died, after the person's died. And I like to do that. I like to. It's so helpful. It's so illuminating. It's so mysterious. Um, and so my dad died. I've, I'd seen him two weeks before he died. I'd spent time. And he looked me in the eye. He said, this is it. You won't, we won't see each other again. I said, okay. And... Uh, 
you know, it was a moment. And he, you know, he's kind of, you know, he could be pretty spaced out old man, but he really looked me in the eye when he said this. It was beautiful. It's touching to remember it. Um, that he really, he really got there for that moment. It was, it was precious. And then he died and I went down and um, his body was already at the uh, mortuary cemetery. But I got to go in and be with his body before the service and then the burial. And so I touched his body a bunch, different parts. And he was cold, partly because they'd just taken him out of the icebox. I mean, that's where they keep the bodies. But it's so wild to feel a body when whatever enlivens it is not there. It's wild. And so clear at that moment that we're not the body. It's so crystal clear. There's no question. It's like, oh, this isn't him. <laughs> you know, this was his body. And so I would encourage you in whatever way, whatever form, it could be even looking at pictures. My friend Frank Ostaseski, who did my sitting group um, one week, who's the head of the Zen Hospice Project, brought photos of people dying and sat in a circle with everybody and just passed the photos around, just contemplating our mortality. Mm. So the Buddha said, he said, in this fathom-long body, with its perceptions, an inner sense lies suffering and the cause of suffering and the freedom from suffering. This is our practice place. This is our temple where we can contemple, contemplate. Here in this body are the sacred rivers. Here are the sun and the moon as well as all the pilgrimage places, I have not encountered another temple as blissful as my own body. And the paradox of being embodied and knowing that this body fades, ends, as the nature of all things, and that through it we can know what doesn't end, what doesn't fade, what's unconditioned. In the great Heart Sutra, in the Mahayana tradition, they say Avalokiteshvara, the, the Bodhisattva of compassion, was practicing deeply and perceived that all five skandhas in their own being are empty and said, O Shariputra, form does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form. That which is form is emptiness. That which is emptiness is form. 
So we know this truth through this form because this form is not separate from the greatest truth, from the deepest realization. And so paying attention, contemplating, being mindful of the body is to see what's here that's not the body, that's not conditioned, that's not bound by our thoughts or our impressions or our memories. I'll end with a quote from Rinzai who said it this way. He said, followers of the way, the Dharma of the heart has no form and pervades the ten directions. In the eye, it is called seeing. In the ear, hearing. In the nose, smelling. In the mouth, talking. In the hands, grasping. In the feet, walking. Fundamentally, it is one light. Differentiated, it becomes the six senses. When one's whole heart comes to a full stop, one is delivered where one stands. Let's sit for a minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.